Welcome to New Life Church. Please stand as we worship this morning.
offering is for Laure Honduras, which is a small community with a local church that we, we have been sending teams for um, on trips down to Laure for about 15 years. During the next song, we invite you to give your offering. You can give in either one of these baskets in front of me or any of the ways behind me. Um, and as we give our offering, um, we are going to sing this song called um, Is He Worthy, which is kind of a call and response song. But before we do that, let's pray for the offering. Father, as we just bring our offerings before you, money and worship, God, we just pray that you would honored by our efforts, that you would take this money for Lowry, that you would um, send it where it needs to go, that their ministry would be able to continue and be blessed, God. And we pray that we would be good partners to them and continue to lift them up in prayer and care and inquire about the work that they're doing. We just thank you for the way our church is connected over the world. We pray that you are just honored through our worship.
We've gathered here together for that sense of renewal and refreshment. And that's my prayer for you, that as you uh, attend here today, and um, that, that we have this opportunity to be refreshed by the Spirit of God. This morning we're celebrating God's gift of children and the grace that he shows to children as well as to all of us for that renewal and refreshment. And so uh, we're celebrating with three families, and I'd like to invite them uh, to come on up on stage here, uh, the Hills, the Vandenbergs, and the Van Wieldens. All right, so we have uh, two dedications and uh, a baptism and, uh, this morning. So uh, dedications... Uh, are when parents bring their child before God, acknowledging that God has given them uh, this child. And, um, and it says the parents uh, bring their child to God. They're making a promise, acknowledging that God promises to watch over this child. And so they offer the child back to God to say, we promise then to make this child or to train up this child to know God. So... Uh, I'm going to start with uh, Chris and Sarah. I'm going to use this for my pulpit. All right, and could I have Chris? Colin, I mean, sorry. <laughs> I don't want you. All right. You guys, this is uh, Colin Christopher. And uh, Chris and Sarah named him that uh, because he's going to be a rapper. Because uh, don't you get it? Like, C.C. Hill. That, I mean, that, that just sounds like a rapper. And Sarah told me she likes rap. And Chris thinks Sarah dresses him up in rap. So, uh, <laughs> not today. No, he's in baptism clo- or dedication clothes today. He's pretty comfortable. I like this. I'm keeping him. Okay. Um, God's given this precious gift. To Chris and Sarah. And so in response, uh, Chris and Sarah, um, God invites you to make promises of your own in response uh, to God. And here's the the questions that we're going to ask, and you can respond with, uh, we do. Do you, by the Spirit's power, acknowledge that Jesus is the Savior of your life? And in response, do you promise then to... uh, to give little Colin Christopher to God, to instruct him in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ? And do you promise to pray for Colin and to teach him to pray? And do you promise also to raise little Colin in a Christian community that represents the body of Christ so that Colin can grow up to be a citizen of God's kingdom? What is your answer? Yeah. So, I want to uh, dedicate Colin with this verse from 1 Timothy 4, uh, reflecting on his name, uh, Colin, uh, which means cub or young one, and Christopher, which is Greek and means uh, bearing Christ or having Christ in me. And so, uh, Paul says this to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, 
and in purity. All right. Okay, you're next. Oh, phew. She's a lot lighter. <laughs> I was getting tired. All right. So, Tim and Rachel have named her Phoebe Ann. All right. A sister to Thomas. All right. Sound fair to you? Sounds good to me. So God has given this precious gift to uh, Tim and Rachel. Tim and Rachel, in offering your child back to God, you acknowledge that Jesus is the Savior of your life, that God rules over your life, and that you wish to live in the Spirit of God. And under the power of that Spirit, do you promise to instruct little Phoebe in the way of God and to teach her the salvation that is through Jesus Christ? Do you promise to pray for her and to teach her to pray? And do you promise to raise her in the context of a Christian community so that she can learn what it means to live as a citizen of Christ's kingdom? What's your answer? So Phoebe is uh, a Greek name, and it means shining or light or radiance. And Anne is a Hebrew name, and um, it comes from Hannah, and um, it means uh, grace or favor, uh, God's grace, his, uh, his favor over Phoebe. And so I want to bless uh, Phoebe with this passage from Numbers chapter 6 and uh, the familiar words uh, that you often hear, and to bless her with these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. All right. Why don't you step over here? Okay, a little switch in images. So uh, with dedications, it's the parents offering the child to God in baptism. It's a picture of God coming down and sealing his promises upon uh, a child. And so um, John and Heidi are presenting uh, their child uh, for baptism as, uh, and responding to God's promises with promises of their own. And so John and Heidi, as you present your child for baptism... Um, and you claim those promises of God, promises that he'll always be with your children. We uh, ask you to respond to God's grace with these questions. Do you love and trust Jesus as the Savior and the Master of your life? And do you promise to train up this child in the truth of God's word so that they can know the way of salvation and teaching them by words and by example to pray and to follow Jesus? And will you pray for your child and raise them in a church community that represents the body of Christ in this world so that they can learn to be a citizen of God's kingdom? What is your answer? 
All right. So, a little brother to Charlie, and uh, John and Heidi have named their second son Michael Anthony. Michael's a pretty powerful name. It means, who is like God? Wow, that's a good place for him. Michael means, who is like God? And it's, um, it's, um, yeah, you might not want to. Okay, now that we're past that. Um, his second name is Anthony. And uh, Anthony's uh, Latin. It means praiseworthy. It means priceless one. But to Michael, it simply means grandpa. <laughs> All right. Well, let's baptize Michael Anthony. Michael Anthony Van Wielden, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go ahead. All right. Well, so for Michael Anthony, I offer uh, this uh, verse from uh, Micah. In the Old Testament, we're, uh, we're in a series of uh, messages on the minor prophets, and uh, Michael is a derivative of the, of the word, uh, the name Michael, and uh, so I chose this passage from Micah chapter 7. Lord, who is a God like you? You forgive sin. You forgive your people when they do what's wrong. You don't stay angry forever. Instead, you take delight in showing your faithful love to them. May God's love always shine on Michael. I want to invite uh, family and uh, friends, maybe family, because there's going to be a crowd otherwise. Um, come on up, and uh, we're going to pray for these families. Yeah. So, as uh, family and friends surround these families, it's an acknowledgement as well that uh, together, as the people of God surrounding these families, we also are responding to God's promises, claiming those promises for us and for these children. And so I'm asking you uh, this morning as well, uh, and responding with we do, do you promise to be that community of Christ that loves and prays for these little ones and a community that nurtures faith in Jesus Christ to these children and their families? What is your... Yes, that's the kind of community we are. Let's uh, join together in prayer. Father in heaven, we praise you for your goodness and for your faithfulness. We praise you, God, for your salvation. We praise you that, that in, in this world, though there is much trouble and though there is much brokenness in our lives, God, we trust you. We know your promises. We know that those promises are real. 
even for these little children. And so we pray that you will uh, guard and guide these children uh, that we've dedicated and baptized this morning. God, we pray that you will surround them by your spirit, that you will raise them up uh, to acknowledge you and to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we pray for the parents. We pray that you will bless them, that as families uh, raising these children, Father, that that you will uh, instruct them, that you will bless them with wisdom and courage in, in the midst of this world to raise their little ones to love you with all their heart. God, and we pray that uh, you will bless them with uh, a sensitivity to all that is uh, belonging to you and that in all things they may teach their children to serve you. And so, God, we pray that you will bless us as a, as a community of Christ, as a church. God, that, that we can encourage one another, build one another up, that we will be faithful in nurturing these children to know you and to love you. And so we pray, Father, for your spirit to dwell in us all, that you will join us together as the body of Christ, that we may shine brightly in this world in a world of darkness, and that we may testify to your goodness and to your faithfulness. To God be the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you very much. So I know what a lot of you are probably thinking right now, with maybe the exception of Taylor. He is a lot less cute than the people that were up there before him. But in all fairness, Nathan is an incredibly cute pastor, so he's very hard to compete with. Uh, My name is Jacob Visser. I am one of two youth pastors here um, alongside Janessa, and uh, I will be your host this morning. A special welcome to our guests. Uh, As you might have noticed, there's quite a few of you this morning. Um... And of course, welcome to those of you who are part of our community. Uh, And welcome to you who are online this morning. We're glad that you could join us. Our aim is to help you, um, to help connect you to community here. Um, Whether it's through calling you out from the stage, uh, as some of you got a taste of last week, um, or just connecting you with life groups. If you are here in person, and this is your first time, or one of your first times of many, I suppose. Uh, There are connect cards in front of you, and you can put those into the boxes at the front or the info booth in the foyer. Uh, If you are online, you can drop a comment. Um, Yeah, drop your name, where you're watching from, and who you're watching with. Uh, And then now on to the announcements. Um, So we're doing a GEMS fundraiser. To those of you who don't know what GEMS is, it's run by my sister. And the easy way to keep that in your mind is my sister's a little bit shorter than me. The smaller girls go with my sister. And then I run youth. And so the slightly bigger girls go with me. And it kind of works out that way. Um, Ages grades 3 to 7 
are in this GEMS program, and the heart of this ministry is to help disciple girls in their faith and teach them how they can develop an intimate and personal relationship with their Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, to make this the best possible ministry and to foster responsibility with the girls, they have a fundraiser selling gift cards for everyday purchase for a wide array of retail categories. Um, it says in brackets, anything you want. So, I mean, whatever that means, you'll find it there. These are perfect for Christmas gifts. Um, Taylor put in notes that there's only 49 days left. Uh, she loves Christmas. She loves Christmas a lot, actually. Um, so now you know there's 49 days till Christmas. There is also a craft fair um, put on by the New Life Women's Connections. Uh, Friday, November 18th from 5 to 9 p.m. Saturday, the 19th from 10 a.m. till 2 p.m. Come out and see the many gifts and abilities in our community. And then Taylor put in brackets, um, finish your Christmas shopping, shopping. And I would just like to say by the 19th, I will probably not even have thought about Christmas shopping yet. So if you are better than me, um, finish your shopping on the 19th. Um, proceeds from this fair go to fund the women's ministry and the upcoming retreat that they'll be doing. Invite your friends and family to come and check it out. Next is the kids' dismissal and uh, fellowship time, everyone's favorite time of the service. Um, every Sunday, we have fellowship time, and this serves, it says two purposes, but really there's three. First, it gives you an opportunity to bring your kids downstairs um, without missing any of the rest of the service. And second, it gives you a chance to meet new people and extend to them the peace of Christ. And then the third kind of thing I put on there is there's coffee at the back and so a lot of us use this time to stand in line for a fresh cup of joe before Nathan comes back up. Um, parents, you can bring your three to five year olds um, to Little Knights and kids grade one to five. You can go downstairs for Kids Church using the door on my right. Um, all kids will be using this door uh, and then you just go down the stairs past the bathrooms. We are now going to enter our three minute fellowship time. If you aren't sure what to talk about with your neighbor, start by asking if they could learn one new trade, what would it be? Thanks for having me. Have a good Sunday. Could imagine? 
Sure, here. There we go. Perfect. Look at that. Or maybe a gold seal yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, if you would take a seat, please. All right. Good stuff. Wow. And I thought it was just the kids that were rambunctious, but everybody's rambunctious today. It's, it is a beautiful day. Well, before we go to God uh, in his word, 
Uh, let's go to him in prayer as well. Um, yeah, we've uh, had a tough week here. Um, we had the memorial service for Gail Childs uh, this past week, and uh, during this week, or at the beginning of this past week, uh, Harry Kostelik had a bad fall and uh, passed away on Friday, I believe it is, and um, so we will be having a memorial service here for Harry Kostelik on Wednesday of this week, um, November 16, at 2 p.m., here at the church. And, um, and then we want to lift up uh, others who are struggling with illness, especially in this flu season and so on, and um, pray for God's protection. Thinking of our world as well, let's, uh, let's come to God in prayer. Almighty God, thank you that you reveal yourself in your word. Thank you that we can go to your word and know more of who you are and what you are up to. Because, Father, uh, in our lives and in our world, there's much that falls apart. There's so much that uh, disappoints and discourages us. And, uh, and yet, God... Uh, we find courage to live in your strength and in the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you will bless us with your word, that it may inspire us to live for you. God, we commit all our, of our lives to you and pray that you will uh, bless and sustain us uh, as we seek to live according to your will. We pray especially for the Costelic family. Father, we pray that you will comfort them in the midst of their grief. And uh, we pray for a blessing upon uh, the time we'll be together to celebrate Harry's life. Thank you for his faith, for his testimony of your love for him. And Father, we pray that you will uh, give strength and courage and blessing to the family as they uh, mourn the loss of uh, their loved one. We pray too, God, that you will continue to uh, comfort um, the child's family and that you will also uh, continue to surround and bless um, those who are struggling with illness, that you will uh, heal them, that you will provide health and strength. And God, we pray that as we look to you, uh, we acknowledge that we depend entirely on you. God, we look around and we see a world in disarray and we pray, Father, that, um, that your spirit will continue to uh, watch over us as we trust in you. Give us faith, God, uh, to walk boldly and to press on and to run the race well so that in that day, when you make all things new, we can rejoice in your presence together. And so keep us faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, as I said, um, we are in this series on the minor prophets, and today we're focusing on Zechariah. Zechariah is the longest minor prophet. The minor prophets are the last 12 books in the Old Testament. 
uh, 12 books that we don't often pay attention to, perhaps because they're so short. Although, on the other hand, Zechariah is uh, 14, chapter long, 14 chapters long. Uh, it's that guy over there. We, uh, we went into the family photo album and uh, picked out uh, Zechariah. There he is, right in the top left corner there. And um, Zechariah, uh, yeah, he, he uh, lived at the same time as uh, Haggai. Uh, we covered Haggai last week. Haggai was only two chapters Zechariah outdid him with 14. And um, so they're, they're both around the time of uh, around 500 BC, somewhere in there, when um, the uh, people of God were coming out of captivity uh, from the Persian Empire. Uh, Cyrus the king is the same emperor that under like Daniel, if you're familiar with uh, the book of Daniel. And uh, so the people are returning back to Jerusalem. And Cyrus, uh, the emperor, is allowing them to, you know, go ahead, go back to your homeland and rebuild it and uh, build a temple for your God. Because Cyrus was just betting that, hey, if you build a temple for your God and the God shows favor, well, then the empire will, uh, will uh, do well. So, um, so the people are back in Jerusalem. And uh, they're called to rebuild. And last week we talked about how Agai urged Haggai urged the, uh, the Israelites to, to rebuild the temple, pay attention to God's presence, and, and, um, and rebuild the temple. But, and so Zechariah is addressing those, this same situation, and what I'm imagining is that on the one hand, it was a very exciting time to be able to go back to the homeland and, and to be able to say, ah, oh, we're back home. On the other hand, it must have been terribly discouraging to go back home and see all of the devastation. I'm imagining it was something like uh, people in the Kherson region of Ukraine going back home after the Russians have left. And you can imagine just pointing out some of these pictures here of the devastation in, in the Kherson region can imagine. I mean, on the one hand, I, I mean, people are excited to go back. So very difficult to look ahead and to go, oh my, we have a ton of work to do. And then the questions start arising. Is it even worth it? What's, what's the worth of starting all over again? Because who knows what else might happen? And what would be the point? If this can happen, then what next? And perhaps, perhaps we ask those same questions too on and off in our lives. When loves, loved ones pass away, we go, oh, life is so hard. And then it all ends. And what for? Or perhaps for you parents, raising little ones, and you think, what kind of world are we raising our children in? What can we expect for them? And those questions easily arise. What's the point? What good is it? What, what could possibly be good out of all of this? And that's what Zechariah is addressing in his uh, book, in his prophecy 
worry about our future. And so what Zechariah does is he presents several visions at the beginning of his book. He starts with uh, a series of visions. And the images and the pictures are, ah, they're, they're pretty unusual, which probably inclines us to kind of ignore the visions and perhaps even just ignore the entire book. But these visions communicate what Zechariah is trying to get across to encourage the people as they return to their homeland and to to instill in them some inspiration, some enthusiasm to take up life again. So I just want to run through those visions quickly. Um, In uh, in chapter 1, we get... Uh, two visions. The first vision is, um, this is, and this is kind of like uh, the book of Revelation. So uh, the book of Revelation ends the New Testament. Zechariah is kind of the book of Revelation for the Old Testament. The first vision is of uh, four horses, uh, which is uh, essentially the four corners of the earth, uh, shall we say. And uh, these, these uh, horsemen, are patrolling the earth. And so it's an image, essentially, a vision of, of God's control over the world. So uh, these Israelites, they're coming out of captivity, entering into all kinds of chaos, wondering who is in control. And Zechariah's vision encourages them with saying, God, God is in control. And then we get the second vision of four horns representing all of the destruction of the world, all of the devastation that people witness around them. Look around, look at the news, uh, read a magazine, and you see all kinds of devastation. That's part of the vision. But then uh, equally, the vision includes four craftsmen representing the rebuilding that goes on day by day, uh, year after year, all of All of what is broken gets restored, gets recrafted in this vision. In chapter 2, we have a vision of a man with a measuring line. You're like, well, whatever. Uh, But the measuring line represents uh, measuring out Jerusalem as the rebuilding starts, as the craftsmen get to work. Then uh, a measuring man or a man with a measuring line comes out to measure uh, Jerusalem, except that there are so many people coming into this city, this city of God, this is the vision, that so many people will come in that you cannot measure the expanse of the city. Nor is there any need to measure the city to, to put up walls. Why? Because in Zechariah's vision, God is the fortress. God is the refuge. God is the protector of the city. Not mere walls, but God himself. Then in chapter 3, we get a vision of a high priest, which seems kind of weird because we're like, yeah, so what? The high priest is ruling over the nation. But to the people of Israel, that was startling. Why? Because high priests had absolutely no power, no might. There was nothing going on with a a high priest except that they kept things pure. And that becomes the ruler over God's city, a high priest. And so here already we begin to see how Zechariah is foretelling the coming of Jesus, the Savior, 
the one who would make all things pure. He doesn't come with military might and power to overtake the world. No, he comes humbly to renew the world, to refresh it, to redeem it. And then we get to chapter 4, we get the vision of uh, a lampstand. So um, a menorah, uh, the candlelight stood in the, in the temple, and uh, this vision is of, uh, of, of the lampstand, and uh, beside it are two olive trees, and the olive trees uh, have, uh, it's, again, it's, it's weird, it doesn't really make sense, but that's how dreams go, right? Um, so from, from the olive trees, there's a pipeline, like a little mini pipeline, uh, right into the lampstand so that the light will never go out. And uh, it's constantly fueled uh, by the two oak trees, or uh, two olive trees uh, beside it. And, and here, uh, we, we get um, uh, a, a picture of how the city of God will always be a light in this world. Though the world is dark, God's people, God's city, God's kingdom is the light in this world that will never go out because it's constantly fueled by uh, the Spirit of God. The two olive trees representing the Spirit of God. And then in chapter 5, we get the vision, uh, two visions again. Uh, chapter 5, vision of a flying scroll. Uh, and that scroll uh, represented the curses of God. In the Old Testament, in, uh, in the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, we often hear about God's curses, God's promises, but also God's curses. And uh, we tend to shy away from that because we don't want the bad stuff. But uh, essentially here in Zechariah's vision, that flying scroll represents God cursing all of the evil of this world. In essence, so you can well imagine these people of Israel coming back into all kinds of devastation and they want uh, to rebuild and they're wondering whether it's even worth it and whether God's going to sustain it. And then we get this vision that God indeed will sustain the light of the world and he's going to cast out all evil out of uh, God's kingdom, that it will be stamped out. A similar vision then uh, following that, also in chapter 5, is a vision of a, a woman in a basket. Uh, but it's a really small basket. So again, the vision doesn't really make sense, except uh, understanding what it represents is that that evil in the world is actually smallness. It's, 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 it's diminished. And then in that vision, uh, Zechariah imagines that that, that, uh, that that basket with a woman in it uh, as small as it is, then is removed by uh, two other women. So again, I don't, I don't know why women are used, but uh, that, that's how the vision goes. And it's, it's, it's a vision about how God's going to cast out all evil uh, out, of, out of this world. And then in chapter 6, we get the last vision, uh, which parallels the first one. The first one, remember, had four horsemen, this vision also has four horses, but this time with chariots representing uh, the conquering nature of God's kingdom uh, and that, it will, uh, that God will be sovereign over uh, everything. So those are the visions uh, that Zechariah presents. And uh, for us, we're used to reading newspapers and we're like, why doesn't Zechariah just tell us that? Well, the visions... 
back then operated in, perhaps in a similar way that we would watch a movie. I mean, you can watch a movie, but why don't you just read the book? Well, some people say, oh, I don't like reading. Other people say, oh, reading takes too long or whatever. But a movie always tells a story as well, right? And some, some of us can process better visually than we can uh, uh, using our brains reading a book, right? Well, it's the same thing for Zechariah. Zechariah is like, tell you what, I'm going to paint you a picture of what's really going on. And that's Zechariah's intent here in this, in, this, in this book. He's telling the people of Israel, and he's telling us as well, he's saying, press on. It is worth it to rebuild. It is worth it to face the devastation in this world. Why? Because the light will shine. The light of God's kingdom will indeed shine when you work in the midst of God's kingdom. And so God, as Zechariah's message encourages us to press on because God's going to establish his presence in this world. That's why we live on. That's why we press on. That's why we say, you know what? It's not about whether you get ahead in life. It's not about whether you survive. It's, not, it's a matter of how do you serve God in this life? How do you raise your children to serve God in this life? How do you confront the brokenness and the, and the grief of this world in order to serve God? And then Zechariah moves on, and so he's got, the, he's got those first six uh, chapters covered. Then the next section in Zechariah is two chapters, chapters 7 and 8, and it portrays something of the coming of God's kingdom and the nature of that. If we do rebuild this, you can imagine the people saying, if we do rebuild this, is God going to sustain it? And what's it going to look like? Because it's not going to look the same as the past glory of, uh, for instance, Solomon's temple. Remember last week we talked about that, that they rebuilt the temple, and then a bunch of the people were like, eh, it doesn't look anything like the last one. Eh, it's so disappointing. Why move on then? How do we already now live in that kingdom of God that God says he is establishing in the midst of witnessing so much other devastation, violence, hatred, and so on? Zechariah addresses that this way. He says in chapter 7, Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, that's the time that they were in captivity uh, away from uh, their homeland, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? In other words, like the people of Israel, for us as well, we sometimes assume that just because we're fulfilling all the expectations, right? We read our Bible, we, we go to church, we do the nice thing. Fulfilling all the expectations of good religious folks, we assume we're okay. All the while, we simply are doing it for ourselves. To make ourselves feel good, to make ourselves feel right, and so on. Zechariah suggests something different. Here's the motivation for living in this world. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. That's the point of living. That's the way that we let the light of God's kingdom shine by not discriminating, not looking down upon people who are, uh, appear to be lower than us or not as well off as us, to not despise the people who are down and out, to, to seek for justice in the way that we live our lives, to seek fairness in the way we do our business, to seek honesty and integrity. Don't plot evil against each other can only be light to the world when we shape our lives around that kind of living. Doing justice, loving mercy, overcoming evil with goodness. And then when we live with that kind of attitude, confident that God will establish his presence forever in this world, then we can already now live in the kingdom of the future in the kingdom that God is establishing. So in chapter 8, we read these words. This is what the Lord Almighty says. And here's a picture again that Zechariah tries to portray of living in God's kingdom when we seek justice and love mercy. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem Each of them will, with cane in hand, because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. (laughs) What's so surprising about this image from Zechariah is that it's so playful. Remember, Zechariah is talking to people who, who are entering a land that's been destroyed and devastated by an enemy. And he's like, no, when you move back into this land, when you live in God's kingdom, live with this picture in mind of a playful playground, some kind of public park where old people are safe to just sit on the bench and and watch uh, things uh, happening in the park. And where children are just delightfully playing in the park. This is is such almost like a frivolous vision. But that's the kind of attitude that Zechariah is trying to instill in the people of Israel to inspire them to carry on in the work of God. This picture is like a a picture of a park. And so here's the takeaway for us. That as as we live in this world, and and it's a world that... that, uh, Well, there's a lot wrong with it. What's going to inspire us to live for God with faithfulness, with endurance, with a sense of ambition for the things of God? It's having this vision of God's established kingdom where peace rules, where God is the protector, All of the things of Zechariah's visions enter into this picture of God's kingdom. 
See, the problem is, the problem is that, and this perhaps sounds crazy, but sometimes we take our faith too seriously when it comes to living in the kingdom of God. We, we think that, that everything has to be so somber and so straight-laced that we take all the fun out of it. Zechariah is trying to inspire the people of God. He's trying to inspire you and me to say, God's kingdom is established. It's a delightful place where you get to work and play in that kingdom. Be a light in the darkness. Zechariah is encouraging us, in other words, to put less faith in ourselves and in what we can do for God to establish his kingdom and to put more trust in a God who has already accomplished his kingdom. And in the meantime, we live in the sheer delight of the God who saves us. That's the context in which we live our lives even today, in the midst of grief and sadness, in the midst of young children, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of war, When God dwells in the midst of us, he does so through Jesus Christ. We live in the safety and the delight of a father who always looks over us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are joined together by God in Jesus Christ so that we can call ourselves the body of Christ. The Christ that the anointed one who has already accomplished victory over sin and evil and death itself. Zechariah, well, as I said earlier, is a long book. So it's got the first six chapters with the visions. It's got chapter seven and eight describing what it's like to live in the midst of this vision of God's coming kingdom. And then the next chapters of Zechariah from 9 to 14 describe a future that is now. Yes, we live in God's kingdom. We live in the victory of Christ. But Zechariah's message also reminds us that that enthusiasm to live in God's presence is tempered by still living in a world that is broken. And so as wonderful as this kingdom sounds, it's not a triumphalist vision. It's not like we can just sit back and say, well, God's got this covered, so I don't need to do anything. Sadly, that's one of the characteristics of popular Christianity is, is this impression that, well, we've got it made, we should be in control. We grab hold of the victory won for us and we claim Jesus for ourselves and then we think we don't have to be humble or submissive or meek or even kind. And we forget that the victory of Jesus wasn't won. It wasn't won through power. It wasn't established by might. It was accomplished through suffering through humility and meekness 
So Zechariah's picture of the future kingdom of God portrays that with these familiar words. In chapter 9, Zechariah says these words, and you might be familiar with them if, you're, uh, if you've ever at- attended church on a Palm Sunday. Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king... And in your mind, you're supposed to imagine a powerful king riding on a horse, a chariot, and, you know, just all-powerful. But no. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, but lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Those are indeed the words that the Gospels use to describe Jesus entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, when all the crowds are shouting, hey, this is our king, and then a week later, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And that characterizes the nature of God's kingdom. Even today, even as we live in the confidence of God's kingdom established here on earth in our midst, yet we live in submission, in humility. We live in the midst of other forces, other powers and principalities trying to force their way in. It's the already and the not yet characteristic of God's kingdom. Yes, it's here. Jesus has established his kingdom here on earth. And yet we wait. We wait for Jesus' return to accomplish God's kingdom in all of its fullness, in all of its newness. And so we live in a kingdom filled with joy, but also with suffering. We live in a kingdom filled with delight, but also with grief. We live in a kingdom that is victorious, but also submissive. And it's the fruit of the Spirit that equips us to live in that kind of kingdom with resilience, with forbearance, with patience, and with hope. Even so, we cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let's pray together. Almighty God, Thank you for Zechariah's words today. Thank you for your word that speaks into our lives joy and delight. It speaks into our lives encouragement and enthusiasm to grab a hold of our faith and to live it out with justice, with mercy, with compassion, with kindness. God, we pray that your spirit will abide in us so that every day and every moment of our day we are faithful. That every every moment of our lives we are shining lights in this world. And so, God, we confess that oftentimes we just we want to hold on tightly to what we've already uh, that we'll, what we already have and think that 
We've got it made. Forgive us. Help us to depend on your mercy. Help us to depend on your goodness. Help us to depend on your faithfulness. Help us to depend on your wisdom and your strength, God. Even in our weakness. Even in our foolishness. And so we look to you, Father. We pray that your kingdom may come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To you be all the glory and all the praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.